Hi, this is Carrie Brownstein. This is DJ Premier. This is Darren Aronofsky. You got the Rizzo right here. Rose McGowan. Right here. Aisha Tyler. Tron Conquest. Fred Armisen. Fritz Paul. Javier Munoz. Seth Meyers. Frankie Cosmos. Flying Lotus. Hi, we're Haim. And you're listening to the Talk House Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Talk House Podcast. I'm Josh Modell. On this week's episode, we've got a musician at the start of her career talking with a songwriter whose 35-year-old song she recently covered after just discovering it. It's Dan Littleton and Helen Ballantyne, aka Skullcrusher. Now, don't let that name fool you. Skullcrusher's music taps into elements of ambient electronic and traditional folk to create a mesmerizing stew. In other words, if it crushes your skull, it will do so gently. On her debut album under the name last year's Quiet the Room, Valentine deftly explores some complicated emotions via gorgeous songs and words. The two artists she's been most frequently compared to are Phoebe Bridgers and Grouper, and I think if you smush those together, that kind of makes sense. The other half of today's conversation is Dan Littleton, whose indie folk outfit Ida made some incredible records in the 90s and the aughts. But the focus of this conversation is actually Littleton's hardcore band from the 1980s, The Hated. The Hated was part of what emo scholars, does such a thing exist? Consider the genre's first wave, which was led most notably by Rites of Spring. They were adjacent to the so-called Revolution Summer in 1985, though the hated faded into history more quickly than some of their counterparts. But the scholars at the venerated Numero Group recently launched a reissue series that takes a deep dive into the hated's discography, starting with a compilation called Best Piece of Shit, Volume 4. Now, what does an 80s hardcore band have to do with an ambient folk artist currently bubbling? Well, the Numero folks had the brilliant idea of asking Skullcrusher to cover a hated song, and once she heard words come back, she was all in. Check out a little bit of the original followed by some of the cover. They are, unsurprisingly, very different from each other. Valentine and Littleton, who are chatting for the first time, talk about how this unusual cover version actually makes complete sense and how sometimes radically different sounds can actually come from very similar places. Dan describes the emotional teenage years that inspired the original, and Helen talks about how she layered the unusual sounds on her version. It's an inspiring love fest of sincerity and creativity, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. I really was completely crushed by and moved by what you did with my Mm. song i I really lost it when i heard it i wrote that song when i was 16 you know and it was such a like uh tumultuous heightened like time in you know foundational time in life when you kind of like yeah find your people and start to you know articulate like what your experience is in and 
how you relate, you know, what that internal world is to like the sometimes real painful, like harsh experience of like being young and figuring shit out. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that song, like it, it really embodies that in a visceral way for me. And I'm not, you know, to be honest, like I don't often listen to like punk music. I listened to that song without knowing your music. And I like, that was the first song that I had listened to yours. And wow. when I, when I listened to more, I was like, oh, okay, this makes sense. Cause I could hear kind of more of like this, yeah, like folkier elements and kind of mm-hmm. like other inspirations. But I listened to that one first and you know, it's obviously sonically like very much like what I would expect, like a punk song to sound, mm-hmm. you know, even though it's so different from, you know, sonically the kind of music I make that I like immediately related to, I think I, and I think it is kind of what you're describing, like this sort of attempt to find the language to work through an emotion. And, and, and I think the way that music allows you to accept the limitations of language. Yes. And I, I was just so drawn to the way that the song sort of has these like repetitive, like almost pleading like moments where you're kind of, you don't have to finish your sentences in a song. And I think there's something so beautiful about that. Lyrically, it really, like, I felt immediately. And then it was funny because I was like, I want to do this song. And then Ken sent me the the piano demo, which I hadn't heard yet. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, you know, then then that obviously felt more in line with, Mm -hmm. like, the kind of music that I make. And I was like, okay, this makes so much sense. And I've always been drawn to, like, this idea of, like, you know intensity in music and what does that mean and and like how in intensity and like aggression can be expressed in different ways it's really like moving to hear you talk about it because i feel like you made the song your own and that you found things that that you like mm-hmm. i was talking with a friend's mother today earlier today and you know we were talking about how music like sense from you know food or the kitchen you know like can Mm -hmm. have that magic like time machine thing that just like takes you immediately to different times and places and right it's just so supercharged and and so visceral like you say like i heard it in your like arrangement in the way that you you had like the arpeggios kind of coming like almost like woven like this uh like this interlocked subtle and and like really quiet sparse thing with the piano and the guitar kind of doing that those triads and just kind of like mm-hmm. moving together and you really found this kind of incantation aspect of the song i, I really felt it so strongly and um right. it's just really moving to me what you did you're singing so amazing in it. And uh, and also there is that that thing, like the limitation of language that really speaks to me on so many levels. Mm-hmm. Because the other singer in The Hated, then I think like I did this too, like he was such a good lyricist. And I, he was like an older brother who had like right, cracked, the, right. cracked the code of, of, you know, language. And I felt like I was just kind of bleeding out whenever I wrote. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel like I could do what what he could yeah. do. He, he seemed like a Dylan figure to me or right. like a de Boone figure to me or somebody like yeah. it just spilled out on the page in such a like it just felt so complex 
and carry so much subtlety and so much information. And we were all speaking from a certain kind of trauma and, but you know, he would, he would like actually kind of speak in tongues a little bit when he sang and like, I wouldn't always know and night to night it would change. And he would just kind of, it seemed like he would just go into a trance and things would come out like differently sometimes. And, um, you know, we were like mumbling our way through the songs and we didn't play them or work on them too much when they hated mm-hmm. played, especially in those early days. And uh, even some of the words that you, I felt like you, tr- you got um, like almost all the lyrics completely right in this song. And then there were ones where you just kind of found what you could translate. Right. And it, it felt as true to me and feels as true to me as whatever I said. I think the line was um you say uh torn torn out and torn out torn out in the side of ways yeah. and and I say torn down buildings and alleyways and the wow. and yeah. the, the meanings <laughs> are both like one is a little more literal mine but yeah. yours is more what it feels like <laughs> it works <laughs> it was an interesting experience because initially when i was listening to it i was like i am not going to be able to get all right. the lyrics right and they're not anywhere <laughs> you can't they're not anywhere them. yeah i really wanted to start with the vocal i recorded it with my friend ben and yeah. he just like came to my mom's house and we, awesome. uh recorded it like on the floor that's where most punk rock music actually yeah like, began. i was feeling very punk even because of people's like... moms in people's mom's basements <laughs> yeah it wasn't quite like a dingy basement but it was yeah. like still you know the idea like my mom's for <laughs> that's awesome yeah and uh and we had like this little synth that I, I knew i wanted a kind of drone i was i mean just recently i've been really interested in just like drone music yeah. and kind of yeah. like singing over drones and so we we did this i did just like some drone chords like kind yeah. of following the 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 chord yeah. progression and then saying over it and you know i and then I was like, okay, I really want to just like try to do just one take for everything and like not yep. do anything over again and just kind of like let let it be what it's going to be. It's yeah, not it's me- like, metric, metrically it's not, mapped out. It's not. And yeah. even like all of the, I mean, that's why like the like later production that I was doing ended up being kind of fun because I, I had to figure out like how, you know, where I wanted it to sound more disjointed and where I wanted it to sound kind of like where it matches up and it comes together. Because initially we were like, whoa, this is like, just sounds like a bunch of instruments playing different things. Because it kind of was. I kind of improvised most of it like the vocal Mm. part I I didn't have a plan of like what I was going to sing you know I like kind of practiced it but like just sort of let it and I but then I was like okay I think this is really actually capturing what what the song meant to me which was that it was like this like listening to that song it feels like it feels like you're experiencing it being made like as you're listening mm. to it like uh, that that was the, wow. the the sensation that i had mm. especially you know and like both versions of it the piano version i mean the piano version really gets me because i just am always so captured by these like really intimate moments and i feel like so connected to a person through those types of 
recordings, but both versions, like, especially towards the end when it's just sort of like everything's kind of breaking down in this really beautiful way. Yeah. And it's like so spontaneous and you feel like anything could happen. Did you start singing and then kind of imagine layering your voice in the way that you did and kind of creating those kind of sustained harmonies? You seem to really know where things should be and they link up in really beautiful ways. I'm just curious about you, like your process with like how you approach the vocals. I did that first take and then I basically just used that as kind of the guide for the yeah. rest of it. So I did that first one and then I did another one kind of like, it's not quite a double, but it's like intentionally sort of veering. Yep. And that's how I like have recorded a lot of vocals with my own stuff too, or but at least more recently with like newer things I've been doing. My uh, Ableton like <laughs> file looked crazy because I was just, it just I had no idea what was going on. I love that. I definitely did actually use some vocal takes. I like pitched them up super high and then like put them through like all these crazy reverbs, and it kind of just sounds like spark sparkles yeah. or something like and that's like my vocal see that that blows me away so that's that's voices yeah yeah because it's like a aurora borealis is like yeah 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 off in the distance of this kind of like drone world i love using you can do so much with them but yeah in terms of like the the audible vocals i think it's yeah maybe maybe three and generally like i'll do one that's like you know singing the words more and then a second one where I'm like kind of deviating and then usually a third one where I'm like just doing like uh, like ahs basically and like doing doing oohs and ahs and like usually I like to hear a lot of like reverb through my own headset so I can like really kind of like lean in and just like kind of improvise and then kind of edit if I need to like take some things out you do processing to get the sound when you're tracking or do you do it post? When I'm doing those, I definitely want to hear more of the processing. It may not end up being exactly what I use, but I just, it helps just yeah. like with, with knowing how to, you know, how long to hold out a note yeah. and gives me a little bit more flexibility. How much exposure have you had with like ambient music and like experimental music composers and mm-hmm. things like that like have you dug into that stuff because it seems like like I remember the first time that I heard that record discrete music by Brian Eno and he does mm-hmm. whatever the Pachelbel canon and he takes all the voices and puts them kind of like on different loops and then just mm-hmm. plays them back and they do that thing that you're kind of talking mm-hmm. about where you know you record you play back something and it seems like oh these notes actually work wherever they hit each other right you know in something like words come back it seems like so simple and minimal and but you could actually they don't have to like always be hitting at the same time because right he makes a whole new composition out of the pachelbel canon just by delaying where you hear the parts coming in it's like a round but people start at the wrong note or start at a different place i do really like ambient music and experimental music i'm like to be honest I'm just not like a huge music nerd, which is funny. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I, I like don't actually like I feel like I haven't listened to a lot of things that I like am supposed to have listened to as a musician where people are like, oh, like, like, I don't know. There's certain bands and albums where I just I'm just like, I haven't listened to that. I'm sorry. That's so great, though, because like <laughs> because you don't 
you're not tethered to that. I think that that's like, that's super kind of like punk. And, you know, a lot of like what we were trying to do, like we didn't know how to do it. Like we go see the Bad Brains, but we didn't think anybody could play like that. Mm. You know, like we couldn't. So you didn't go like, I mean, now I see kids and they could just like, oh, I, I, they they could will just figure out I against I and play it back. Or they'll just mm. figure out some like incredible thing. And that's learning it, you know, yeah, for yeah. us, we like lived with it. We saw the shows, but you didn't think like nobody could play guitar like that. Nobody could play or sing like that, you know. And um, so you wouldn't even try in a way you try to do mm. you try to translate like what that experience was into your own thing and just just explore just do what you needed to do i feel like that's where you are able to find your own space you don't want to be too tied to like trying to recreate something exactly and i'm sure that like even the greatest of the greats like feel that way yeah with you know their predecessors and their idols where they were like i could never do that but you know it's like they kind of like found their their own way. So I, yeah, I think that's just sort of like the the process you know, that, that that's like will forever be how yeah uh, how, how people find their way. Hey, this is Josh Modell, host of the Talk House podcast. We love it when musicians come on the show and talk about process, and often they'll get into the nuts and bolts of being a working artist, which can sometimes be fun and sometimes feel more like a business. Well, this episode of Talk House is brought to you by DistroKid, which is an amazing service for musicians looking to get their songs out into the world in an incredibly smart and cost-effective way. For the past decade plus, DistroKid has made it easy to get your music on all the streaming services, including Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Instagram, and more. You keep 100% of your earnings minus a flat yearly fee, which is a better deal than you'll find anywhere else. More than a million artists use DistroKid, and the latest version of their app is better than ever. It includes features that make it easy to see your account details, including the money you've earned, as well as to seamlessly edit things like lyrics and metadata across platforms. There's even a feature called Instant Share, which allows you to easily share files with your bandmates, booking agent, playlist curators, and more. DistroLock allows you to protect your songs. DistroKid users get a YouTube official artist channel, too. The list goes on. The DistroKid app is available on iOS and Android. Go check it out today. Seattle in the 90s. A tidal wave of iconic music roars out of this sleepy city and launches a pop culture revolution. Here's a story you haven't heard. Let the Kids Dance is a new podcast about the rise and fall of Seattle's teen dance ordinance, the law that made it illegal for young people to go to concerts. A story of moral panic, grassroots activism, and an unstoppable music community that fought for its freedom. Listen to Let the Kids Dance from KUOW and the NPR Network. I listen to a lot of experimental music. I love listening to music without lyrics, even though I love lyrics so much and I love writing lyrics and I feel like, but I do tend to like listen to a lot of music without lyrics. I mean, I'm trying to think of like if there was anything in particular that I was like thinking about with this song. Here's a song with lyrics that I was thinking about. Song for the Siren by This Mortal Coil was like, oh yeah, yeah, which is also kind of like <laughs> droney and uh, see, this like is this, this is really right. fucking amazing. This is really <laughs> great. No, you have to understand. Like, okay, the year that we made that this recording, yeah, was basically like this Mortal Coil record 
came out. I don't even know even how to talk about it. It was like, you know, such a, a gateway for so many things because yeah. like you couldn't find, you couldn't get access to all of this music. You know, a lot of, a lot of us right. like heard Big Star after we heard, you know, the this Mortal Coil kangaroo or heard, you know, Tim Buckley after we heard Elizabeth Frazier and, and uh, Cocteau Twins singing that song right. and there's more i mean holocaust is big star there elizabeth fraser also sings that roy harper song like so like another day so there were like these all these beautiful powerful things like happening in that 4ad aesthetic i know yeah that, that it was great. so powerful it just like you know it just destroyed us completely or some of us and for me <laughs> like i know like one thing i wanted to tell you is it's so wild because like there's music I, w I want you to, I want, I want to give to you that Please. Liz and I, who started Ida, like we did some projects much later on that really like had a lot of drone and had a lot of kind of like trying to similarly, you know, work with like broken things. Like we'd use yeah. drum machines, but then we'd kind of cut them up to make them sound as broken as we wanted them to sound. Right, you know, right. it's like, and then you'd try to play in real time along with the thing that you'd made that was a little bit broken. Or you'd right. try to like work with the imperfect loop or some something that just still felt in the electronic realm, like you're still spontaneous and making shit in the moment. Like at the beginning of The Hated, I was in high school around that time. I mean, I was 16. I was singing in a music room and I was probably just screaming and bleeding mm. all over the walls. And <laughs> this this girl like knocked on the door and handed me, she said, uh, that's really powerful what you're doing. I'm listening to you outside the door. And um, wow. I think you should have this tape. And she gave me a tape of Nick Drake music. Wow. And um I think it had well, Nick, like Nick is my favorite. I mean, he's my he's, favorite. He's incredible. <laughs> and that, you couldn't find that stuff, and it was Pink Moon, and this was 1985. So I feel like that's even before it became more popular. Oh yeah, it totally was. You you couldn't find it. There's all this great fucking music that has been lost or right. overlooked, and like over time, that stuff becomes it reaches a kind of critical mass. People find it who need to find it and then they're they're really changed by it and um, yeah. you know that's what that music did for me and like you know like celtic music mm -hmm. and um indian music mm -hmm. and southeast asian music like all these you hear like a lot of those drones you hear like a lot of those yes those kind of ideas and um that really inspired me from an early age and i also even when I was doing punk stuff that was really heavy and playing really fast, aggressive music, I was always, Eric and I and Hated were always playing acoustic songs. I really am glad that this happened because I think it actually like folds in really well with just like my project overall, which is, you know, obviously like I'm called Skull Crusher and I get a lot of like, you know, people being like, your music doesn't sound like metal or like doesn't sound hardcore but I've always been interested in this like connection between you know more fast-paced yeah aggressive sounding music and then uh you know softer music because I think that there there really is a strong connection there like Fairport Convention and like oh, yeah. uh, other sort of 
uh, traditional uh, UK influenced music, which a lot of that like folds into to metal and punk and like these other yeah, genres. I'm drawing from like a similar source, but just it just sounds different i mean yeah and it's interesting because i actually get a lot of like people who are like really into metal and they they do like kind of fuck with my music where right like i think that there is kind of some sort of kinship there i wanted to ask you about metal for precisely those kind of reasons because i feel like there are some real like extreme kind of experimental reaches of metal that really are interested in ambient music, really interested in drone, really interested in like folk music. And I think that like, there is this kind of transcendent aspect to your work. How does magic relate to Skullcrusher? And do you like folk horror movies? And are you <laughs> like, you know, do you, do you like weird ambient metal and how does all this stuff like kind of work together because it's it seems like by like embracing the skull crusher like you're you're like pointing to that you're Mm -hmm. like you don't want to be reduced Mm -hmm. to like any kind of like genre and yet you're very like comfortable being in a spacious like like sparse minimal kind of soundscape you know yeah, that actually actually feeds into like something I wanted to ask you as well because like it seems like your narrative kind of like what I've read is that you kind of emerged somewhat in response to like uh the kind of punk scene at the time and yeah. I just wanted to know like your thoughts on kind of genre and like whether you felt just how that felt at the time of when you started, like obviously you have all of these different influences yeah. and whether you felt kind of limited by genre classification or if you felt like it was a way to sort of contain sort of the multitudes of like all of these other influences. Hell yes. That is just beautiful. I am as resistant to like the kind of classifications and limitations of genre as I am to authoritarian power structures or like (laughs) hierarchies or things like that. I don't look down at anybody's gateway to music, like to expression and to, you know, like whatever you need, whatever gets you there. It's like, that's whatever that doorway is. It's that sacred shit. It's always seemed to me like, what I loved about punk rock music and my experience of it was it felt like one everybody, you know, it's like that Stooges song I got to write or whatever. It's like, mm-hmm. you, it's like everybody's got their voice and their place. And it's, it's not just about virtuosos. Like maybe two people on the planet are going to be born singing like Aretha Franklin at age, right. you know, eight, um, right. you know, and at the same time, it's like the, that's those are the most special things in the world when people just have those kind of gifts and they can express themselves and and they're born into some kind of context in which they can really bloom i feel like punk rock really galvanized like a sense of resistance it helped Mm -hmm. me find people in a place in which i mean i grew up in a biracial family and i had like Mm -hmm. a lot of of kind of post-vietnam and 80s post-civil rights movement battles were mm-hmm. still being kind of waged in the place where I lived. And, yeah. and I became kind of an easy target for, for violence 
I just felt so isolated and so scared. And I felt like angry, like I wanted to find a way to do something with it. And I needed to find other people who felt the way that I felt, who, you know, um, wanted to, who just saw the mirage of American late capitalist life as whatever it was and just shared a sense of like, fuck this, like, let's do something else. And then starting to write starting to like, um, you know, like I had had this feeling and I wanted to just tell you because I was so moved when I heard your version of this song. Then I just really like, I I kind of wish I could send your version of that song to this scared, angry, um, heartbroken 16 year old kid and just like hear that like across time, there's people, uh, there's those connections. And I've, I've found those people. So I was very fortunate in that respect. And it's like, you know, so this is kind of like a long winded, hopefully not too diffused way of, of just saying, yes, I, <laughs> I like think music is like always first and foremost about liberation and mm-hmm. about um, going beyond limitations of form, rules, of mm-hmm. structure of um where you put it mm-hmm. metal kids can't listen to punk rock um people who like Joni Mitchell can't like the bad brains or void or people can't like you know that's <laughs> we Eric and I keep laughing about that cuz we're like we just have to keep talking about like Joni Mitchell Nick Drake the bit <laughs> the big boys void <laughs> and like you know just punk rock and metal and you know and um folk music and you know like there's no there's no reason that we can't um just benefit from being freed from those labels there's no reason that some kid who's like into you know norwegian metal couldn't like be laid down by like laid bare by like hearing annie briggs sing or hear you know richard thompson play guitar yeah it just I it seems totally so like so that this combination of like doing this cover was really indicative of that for me where I was like oh like this you know because people are inevitably going to be like oh like their music is so different like you know it's so crazy that she covered this uh this song that that sounds so different from what she normally does but like at the core it's actually really similar <laughs> to I, it's what totally I similar i get it right <laughs> yeah. away i did want to also talk about that piano demo oh man what was okay. the room i'm just so curious uh, here let me try to just give you i'll give you the, <laughs> the, the, the the like the version of this that um that i remember i wrote the song i wrote the melody, the lyrics, everything kind of came out. Maybe the end part, some of the lyrics were still kind of coming into shape. And I played it to one of my best friends who actually mm-hmm. for a time later was a short period of, of time was a bass player in the hated Jason Fisher. And his older brother was like my other closest friend. And he wrote so many of the hated songs. Um, mm-hmm. But I was hanging out with Jason in my basement mm-hmm. and I I played him the song and he picked up our friend's bass and just started playing along with me that instantly just connected. Mm-hmm. And it was really meaningful to me because I was still really trying to figure out like what it was to write songs and, and mm-hmm. share them with people. And I'd written really like fast frenetic punk songs and 
really um, intimate, quiet songs that I would only play to like my best friend or, you know, um, little things that I would play to my girlfriend or things like that, that were just like, I was still a little bit scared and vulnerable about them, you know? And, um, And that song became like part of The Hated and we basically broke up after playing two shows one real show and one like basement show mm-hmm. and you know played that song live with the original group just those mm-hmm. once or twice um yeah. and recorded it and we found this kind of like lightning in a bottle thing with each other Whoa. we had two drummers in the hated and i i i kenny hill and mike bonner and i mm-hmm. i kind of um once was trying to write about both of them and i, I said to myself I should put it somewhere. Mike Bonner, when he made a mistake, he made you cry. And Kenny Hill, when he didn't, he made you cry. (laughs) (laughs) Like, so it was like both of them were like kind of these almost antithetical and just totally creative, beautiful musicians, just who just were really like uh, the key to everything we did as a band. And yeah. at this point, the, this we did Words Come Back, and it was the last song we did with that group, the last recording. And wow. although um, uh, Colin, our bass player, has you know said that it was like different, that this didn't happen the way that I said it was, uh, my experience of it was completely Mike falling on the floor at the end of the take like he was so mm. sick he had a really bad fever we got him oh, home yeah. we didn't do the rest of the take we didn't do the rest of the songs and it's one of my like one of these things that just moves me it's just a real personal thing about that yeah recording is like hearing him push through and he just plays so beautifully at the end it's so we never you know we we played this one show at the new loft in baltimore after that and, and then we that that version of the group was done. Here's the thing that I want to tell you. This is a long-winded way of putting it, but a piano is not really a demo. Yeah. After the band broke up, we'd already recorded it yeah. as a full band song. Yeah. And everybody was leaving, everything was done. And I sat in my parents' living room playing my father's piano and, you know, just looking at kind of the end of things like mm-hmm. the end of of uh this this group that like um meant so much to me we ended up doing so much more together but it didn't feel like yeah, we didn't, didn't know didn't know what was going to happen next and right. that group never didn't play together again until you know 35 years later <laughs> we just did the first song i wrote for my for my for my album was written on my my childhood piano which is at my mom's house and yeah there's just so, there's something about that i mean obvi- obvi- there's sort of like the obvious just sort of like right you know you, you sort of almost revert to your childhood self in some way oh yeah whatever all the other hullabaloo <laughs> like around yeah. being a musician you're just like in your like really intimate zone like closed off zone um and i mean that's like i think what it really comes through in that recording it's really a haunted place for yeah many of us too and so it's like there's that did your mother play was she did she play piano so did you grow up with like singing hearing music in your house was that like something that like yeah 
like my dad plays music um he doesn't play piano like the piano i i started playing piano when i was young when i was like five or so yeah um and singing and stuff and i just love to like you know make up songs and stuff like that there's one song on my album that is uh audio that's pulled from a home video of me making up a song on the piano i'm just basically yeah. like banging on the piano yeah and i just loved that so much i was like i was like this is a great song like i was like this <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, I don't know what's going on. And then we actually ended up like trying to put kind of chords over it. It was sort of an experiment. Yeah, that piano, my father's piano was a little bit, a little bit in between. So it's yeah. like, you know, it's somewhere around C. <laughs> yeah, it's not, yeah. It's not quite there. I was fully banging on the piano. I'm so glad <laughs> that, that like, that you found this song and, um, that you connected to it and that you found like the hated music and you found something in it that spoke to you. It's already like a strange enough experience to have somebody cover something that you wrote or like, yeah. like interpret it. I was like nervous to talk to you. Cause I, I expect that that's a strange thing. Like I don't, I haven't experienced that mm. uh, with my own music, but I think about it a lot and obviously like thought about it a lot when I was, you know ask to do a cover because I'm just like I don't know yeah sometimes I just I don't know how, what to make of it of it yeah it's so it's so personal it's like taking someone's like a part of someone and kind of like mm. enveloping it somehow and yeah so it means a lot to me that you like you liked it or you like found something in it that that uh, was kind of yeah. touching in some way. I totally cried when I heard it. I I didn't oh. I didn't anticipate I didn't anticipate <laughs> it. I, you know, I, but part of it was that, like, you know, also like where where I'm coming from with my own music, with my own approach to like sound, and like I just love space and drones and. I want to have an expansive view of things like minimalism. Like, I don't want to reduce things. I just think, like, you can hear when there's space in between notes. You can really hear, like, so many things. There's room for everybody's emotional experience to mm -hmm. just kind of breathe. And mm -hmm. you also hear, like, in incredible harmonic relationships that you might not here i really appreciate how your songs don't require a resolution to mm -hmm. to be what they are and to speak authentically and uh to me that's like something like i'm really care about like life is messy and things are not easily resolved or understood you know my version of minimalism might include you know a record like pink moon by nick drake mm -hmm. or a record like blue by joni mitchell as much mm -hmm. as it would be like blind willie johnson or lamont young or terry riley or something you know like I, it doesn't have to be in a genre at all it's like the idea of one person one instrument one microphone is pretty stripped down or even just a simple intention can, you know, render that same kind of like minimalism. Yes. yes. Uh, or simple idea. Um, but yeah, I, I totally respond to that. And and I will also say that uh, the experience of 
listening to your music and listening to that song and, and the experience of doing that cover has absolutely given me kind of more to work with in my own journey of creativity. It really did inspire me and and uh and and yeah, I I'm very grateful for that experience. I'm grateful to you. I feel like, you know, exactly the way that you feel, the way you just said is like, I feel like so appreciative of the chance to get to talk to other artists and to learn from them and to play with them and to just also be there to like participate mm -hmm. and to witness like that creation that you're talking yeah. about. Like yeah. we can sit yeah, in a yeah. room and we can make shit together. And like, that's, that's like such a gift like in this world just like the possibility of communication it feels like there's some sanity in that and for sure. i yeah. want to be there for it and i've always yeah. wanted to be there for it and it's been one of the few things in life that i've experienced where people really do come together as a result of just sharing Mm -hmm. sound at that level just people singing together yeah you know it's always been that way if the grid fails tomorrow people you know will be like banging on something and singing something until we yeah. can't do anymore like it's just it's been it's so like amazing to talk to you yeah well yeah so nice talking and thanks for thanks for having us on this yeah. Thank you for having us. This was really beautiful. I really appreciate it. Been to talk with you, Helen. Thanks for listening to the Talkhouse podcast, and thanks to Helen Ballantyne and Dan Littleton for chatting. If you liked what you heard, please follow Talkhouse on your favorite podcasting platform and check out all we've got to offer on talkhouse.com. This episode was produced by Myron Kaplan, and the Talkhouse theme is composed and performed by The Range. See you next time.